Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read from verse 25 to verse 29, Hebrews chapter 12. Let's hear the Word of God. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Uh, I was in Texas many, many years ago, and someone said after the service about the preacher, I hate it when he stops preaching and starts meddling. Well, in some ways, that actually is a definition of preaching, is not just teaching, but meddling. And uh, the author of Hebrews is a model of this. This uh, book has been one long, elongated word of exhortation, he says. Uh, it's a sermon. And uh, the kind of sermon you, ex you would have expected the Apostle Paul to preach. You remember he preached all afternoon into the evening, got around midnight, somebody fell out the window, died. He went out and he raised the person from the dead. They went back in, and Paul promptly preached until daylight. That kind of sermon. We should try that here sometime. Uh, not the dying, falling out the window thing, but the, the, an elongated sermon. Hebrews is an elongated sermon, and the, the, the author, as he's preaching it, as it were, Medals from time to time. We call them the warning passages. They're the, the places where he stops just talking generally and he's looking at the congregation. He's eyeballing them and he's speaking to them. And he's addressing them. And that's what he's doing here. Do you notice in verse 25? See that you, he's talking to these people in front of him, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. That expression, see that or see that, or watch that, echoes words that he's used already earlier in chapter 3 when he says to the people, see that, watch that, an evil heart of unbelief that would turn you away from the living God doesn't enter your heart. He's speaking directly to them, and here he is speaking directly to us. And here's his words, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And he, he drives it home. If, uh, if we do this, how much more will we, we, will we escape if we reject such a great message? Who is speaking? The author is speaking. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to people who, like him, are Christians. 
The author knows himself to be a decided Christian, and he's writing to Christians, and he's asking them the question, who are you listening to? Are you listening? Do you form your opinions on the basis of public opinion? Are you listening and do you form your opinions on the basis of political pundits? Are you shaping your life by the kind of things you read on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or some other medium of communication? Are your opinions being formed? Are your positions being shaped by the culture around you? whether it's a conservative culture or a liberal culture or whatever culture it might be, what is shaping the way you are thinking? Are you listening to these other voices or are you listening to this voice about which the author writes? Who is it that's speaking here? This paragraph that we've just read is really the end of the body of this letter, this epistle, the epistle to the Hebrews. At the beginning of the letter, he talks about who is speaking. God spoke, he says. His point right from the beginning and right through this letter is that Christianity is a revealed religion. Whether it was the Hebrew prophets or the Old New Testament apostles, They had received a revelation of God. He says in chapter 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And then he goes on to say, now in our day, the God who spoke to our fathers has spoken to us by one who is the Son. In other words, Christianity is a revealed religion. God has spoken. God has revealed himself. It says in the center of the letter that the word of God is living. God is living. He is the living God. His word is a living word. It is active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the impossible division of soul and spirit. This word... This word is God's word that comes through the prophets and supremely comes in Christ, reveals God to you and to me. We need to know who God is. We need to know God. For without that, we do not have eternal life. For this reason, we can say this. We can say that hearing God, studying God as he speaks to us, does not need a reason beyond itself. We hear God for God's sake. We study God for God's sake. There there is no product from it. There is no takeaway from it. We study God to know God. What is the greatest need of the church of Jesus Christ today? It is to know God. What is the great need of the church? It is to listen to God. And so the author says to us, beware. Beware of inattention. Beware of unbelief. Beware of disobedience with respect to divine revelation. 
This is why we gather Sunday by Sunday on the Lord's Day. As we learn from the opening chapters of the book of Revelation, we we gather on the Lord's Day to hear, to hear, mark you, what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is an important duty that the writer is laying upon us. We are to hear God. Why? Because the Word of God is part of God's very own perfection. It's part of His excellence, the sufficiency of all that He is. And God's Word leads us to God, and that's where we have to stop. God's Word leads us to God. Secondly, we have to hear God's Word, because Satan, Jesus said, Satan is poised to snatch away from us what you will hear this morning. To snatch away this Word that is a Word of life, the living Word of God. And thirdly, we are to give attention to hearing God in His Word because our human nature, because of the fall, is so earthbound, so sensory-driven that our minds become dull and our, and our eyes and ears heavy to the truth of God when it comes to thinking of eternal and spiritual things. We are to give heed to how we hear. And he gives us a reason. He tells us our duty. He gives us a reason. It falls into two parts. He says this, you are to give heed to this because... If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. He takes them to the past, to the they, to Israel. God had spoken to Israel. God had met with them at Mount Sinai. It says that the Lord came from Sinai. He came not only in, 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 in the earthquake and the, and the lightning and the thunder and the cloud and the fire that the people saw, but he was there on Mount Sinai with 10,000 times 10,000 of the holy ones, that is of the angels, we would say millions of angels. It was a spectacular sight. And they heard him. They heard him as he said, I am the Lord your God. And in their terror, they asked that God stop speaking to them and rather speak to Moses. God agreed to that. But no sooner is Moses up the mountain with God than Israel is turning to sin. They're building a a golden calf and they're worshiping God in the golden calf and they're engaging in frenzied immorality and idolatry as their acts of worship. And the judgment fell upon them. They did not escape who refused him who warned them on earth. That's a serious thing. What happened to Israel, an entire generation died in the desert and did not get to the promised land. Why? Because they refused him who was speaking. And this letter has said, the church, like Israel, 
Here's God, but if the church, the church in America will not listen to God, but will listen to one another, or listen to the pundits, or listen to the media, and follow after all of that nonsense, and rather than listen to God, then it will die in the desert along with Israel in the wilderness. And he goes on to stress even more. An argument from the present, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. God not only came and spoke to Israel, God came and spoke to the world in Jesus. He was the Lord from heaven. He was the one who had descended from heaven and who has now ascended back into heaven. It was Jesus himself who said, he that comes from above is above all. He that comes from heaven is above all. He came to tell us heavenly things because he came from heaven. In fact, he says in one point in John's gospel, as he's talking to people, that the son of, about the Son of Man who is in heaven. There he is. He's on earth in a human form, but he's in heaven. He never leaves heaven. He never abandons heaven. He is always outside the world as well as in the world. He is always everywhere as well as in one place there in Israel and in Galilee. He'd come in humanity to reach us, to speak to us, but he'd come as the Lord from heaven, and he speaks heavenly things because he is both human and divine. That's why he had such knowledge of heavenly realities. That's why the New Testament wonders of the condescension he'd shown in coming among us. This is the basis of his authority. He speaks with authority and not like the scribes. And today he is at the right hand of God, which means he is there as God on God's throne. This is the one who speaks to us. When we read the scripture today, we're hearing the Lord of heaven speaking to us from heaven. This is what the Spirit says to the churches He's urging men and women to come to him. He's urging men and women to believe in him. He's urging his own people to go and obey him. He is God's final word. There is none to come. This is God's last word to humanity. But I want you to notice who this warning is being given to. It's not being given to the world outside. It's not being given to the men and women we work with who don't believe in God. This warning is being given to us in this room. It's being given to those who know God. It's being given to the church, to the believer. He's saying to those who profess to believe in the church, be aware of this and beware of this, that if you stop listening you may turn away from it altogether. You may turn your back on what you do know. And he says it was one thing for Israel to disregard the law of God. It is an even more serious thing to disregard the gospel of God. The gospel of God made flesh, manifest in the flesh. You see, when the law came to Israel, it established Israel as God's church with outward and external ordinances to mark it out from the nations. But the gospel 
touches not only earth, it touches heaven, and it establishes a state of affairs that is far more extensive and far more permanent than Israel. So he goes on to say in verse 26, now, now he has promised. He points back to that time. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. What is this now? This now is the present, our present, the righteous present, this present age post-Jesus coming into the world. And he quotes there from Haggai, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Haggai goes on to say this in Haggai chapter 2, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Who is the desire of all the nations? It is the Son of God. He appeared. He appeared. And the coming of the Son of God has shaken up everything. You can see this. This applies to the divinely established worship of Israel. They had a temple. These Hebrew Christians had once been Jews and worshipers of God, and they had a temple. That temple was a sign of God's presence among them. But in Christ, we do not have a building. We have, we have God himself manifest in the flesh. They had a sacrificial system that promised forgiveness but had to be repeated over and over and over again. We have one sacrifice that removes sin once and for all with a real atonement. They had physical washings, ceremonial washings, to remove exterior defilement in order that they might serve God. We have the Holy Spirit who renews us from the inside, who regenerates us, makes us new, and who cleanses us, a cleansing that reaches the parts that no other does. We live in a far better economy to be in Christ. But simply living now doesn't do it. There has to be this hearing, this attending to the Word of God. The heavens were torn apart when Jesus came. And the voice was heard to say, this is my beloved son, listen to him. As he went about, he performed these words that brought heaven down to earth. He said in his speech, I saw Satan fall like lightning out of heaven. And when he died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, the earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were opened, and the bodies of the saints were raised. His coming changed the worship of Israel into the worship of the church. His coming upset the forces of nature. His coming changed the history of the world. The history of the world, as you know, has been a series of kingdoms, great kingdoms that have come and gone. I know when I was at school, we had a map on the wall. Most of the map was colored pink and marked out the great British Empire. 
Our tiny island, of course, was inflated in size. (laughs) And over to the periphery to the left, rather squidgy and narrow and slim-looking was North and South America. And then over to the right, China was kind of disappearing into the horizon. And the great British Empire stood out. It doesn't even exist today. And the story of the world is the story of rise and falls of empires. Daniel the prophet prophesied at the beginning of his life during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a great image with a head of gold and chest and arms of silver, middle and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay mixed. And Daniel tells the king what he had dreamt. The king had asked everybody else, tell me what I dreamt and then I'll listen to you. Only Daniel can tell him what he actually dreamt and only Daniel gives the, the, the interpretation. He says, you saw a stone cut out by no human hand. That stone gathered pace until it became a mountain, and it smashed that image you saw and broke it to pieces. Later on, Daniel explains what the image represented. The golden head was the kingdom of Babylon. The silver represented the Medo-Persians who would take over. The bronze represented Greece, Alexander the Great. The iron represented Rome. And Daniel said in the, in the period of that last kingdom, Rome, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. And it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Daniel explained, my God is the living God. And his kingdom shall never be destroyed. Now the readers of this letter to the Hebrews, they lived in a period of convulsions. Their former religious life had had become passé. And the worship of the temple was dying down and their friends, some of their friends were in prison. Some had already died for their faith. They were alarmed. Some were afraid. But here the author is reminding us that because the Son of God is coming, once more I shall shake not only the earth but also the heavens. That Rome itself would be brought down to nothing. Its palaces would crumble. You go to Rome today and see the remains of the Roman Empire. All you will see in good repair are the churches. What will you see, what you see crumbling to the dust are the remnants of one of the world's greatest empires. Jesus came to upset the world. He came to shake up things. In 1917, an empire was begun, built on atheism and nihilism. It extolled the promise of beauty and bounty for all and the end of oppression. 
Yet in the 70-year period in which it reigned, over 20 million Russians were fed to the oncoming German army as so much chaff and died, while 20 more million were put, were purged or put in camps and died in exile. 40 million dead. The great communist, socialist, utopia. Now gone. With the Russian Orthodox Church having grown in the last few years at a staggering pace, until it now nearly embraces the majority of nearly all of the population of Russia. In 1933, Adolf Hitler announced Das Dritte Reich, a Third Reich that would last for a thousand years. It lasted precisely 13 years. The kingdoms have come and the kingdoms have gone. But resistance to God comes not just from political entities. In the book of Revelation, we read of the great prostitute, Babylon, with whom the people of the earth, that is, the world's culture and civilization, are intimate. We're told that she attracts peoples and multitudes and nations and languages, that she dominates the global village, that people from all over the world have drunk the wine of her passion and her sexual immorality, that the leaders, the kings of the world, have committed immorality with her, that the merchants of the earth have grown fat and rich from the power of her luxurious living. We're told that she is drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Babylon represents all the commercial, economic, financial, cultural, and social elements of the world system in which you and I live today. The globalization of the world. And this global civilization we are part of will come to an end. In a single hour, your judgment has come, we read. The great city will be thrown down. The heavens will cry, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God. And when it falls, it is the great men of the earth, as well as the poor men of the earth, who are in, in desperation and fear for the things that are happening, as this colossal, mega-consumer-orientated civilization, with all its wealth and power and commercial vitality, collapses when God shakes the heavens and the earth that final time. And many, many voices like a roar of many waters and like mighty peals of thunder will cry out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. We live in a world that is already under the sentence of death, already being shaken oh, by God. But we are not shaken. Brothers and sisters, we are receiving 
a kingdom. Do you know it's not only these things that are going to be shaken? God is in the process, we discover from this verse. God is in the process of removing things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that things that cannot be shaken will remain. Everything that can be shaken, even the universe. The heavens will pass away, writes Peter, with a roar. Not Peter with a roar. The heavens shall pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. This universe will be burned, as it were, by fire, cleansing, renewing, refining, restructuring. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But you and I receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're receiving it. We're not earning it. We're not working it. We're not creating it. We're not manufacturing it. We're receiving it. It is a gift. Jesus said, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And the gates of hell shall not pass, destroy this kingdom shall not withstand this kingdom. As God's people, this kingdom has been given to you. This royal status to you, men and women, believers, brothers and sisters, you are kings and priests to God. Yours is the inheritance of the new heaven and the new earth. Yours it will be to co-reign with Christ in that renewed universe. So how should we respond? The writer says, with gratitude, let us be grateful to him who has spoken, to him who has conferred upon us such an honor, who has given us such a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. What do we do Sunday by Sunday? We come to re- to reorder our thoughts towards Him, to reorientate our life to these heavenly realities. We, we turn from the world for a moment. The world we love, the world we serve, the world into which we will go tomorrow to do our best, to, to play our part, to serve and, and to make a difference as we can in the meantime but we turn Sunday by Sunday as we gather together as God's people. We turn from the world and we turn towards God. This service is not for you. It's not to make you feel better or happier or or, or pleased or anything like that. Or I would be a comedian rather than a, a, a preacher. No, we don't come for entertainment. We come for God. We come to reorder our minds and our, and our affections towards God. We come to receive this unspeakable gift, this love with which He loved us before we loved Him. We come to offer worship that is acceptable as we offer it with reverence and fear, 
a sense of the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, as well as the love of God. We come and we say, as it says in the Scripture, who shall not fear you and glorify your name, for you are holy. Our God is a consuming fire. We should be scared. But we're not afraid. He is the consuming fire who appeared to Moses. You remember, the bush was not consumed, but there is the consuming fire, the self-fed fire, as it were, of God's holiness. God's holiness will consume everything. but will act as a protector of his people. Just as he protected them with that cloud of, that, that pillar of fire and cloud that led Israel, as he protected Israel from their oppressors, so he will protect us. Our God is a consuming fire. These other voices that you're listening to the opinion formers of our society, the pundits and the experts who want to lead us away from the things of God, the philosophers of our age, who starting with Timothy Leary at Harvard have led us down a path into irrationality, even in our best universities. Irrationality is the order of the day. All this will be shaken. Everything that has been made will be shaken. But we receive a kingdom that shall not be shaken. His kingdom stands forever. Forever. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Father, we pray that you would give us a perspective this morning as we hear your voice, that we belong to this kingdom, this kingdom of God, this kingdom brought by Jesus that brings eternal life to your people. We pray in his strong name. Amen.